morning, friends. So that was a little bit different than we normally do worship. There was no drummer. I, I just have to admit, I'm a drummer wannabe. I like during worship, I look at the drummer and just imagine, and sometimes even without singing with my voice, I pat on my, on my thighs, and I just, I love, uh, I love worshiping, uh, and I love singing, but there's something about the beat, and, and having a sweet collection of melody and songs is also sweet. I love that our church has a diverse body and a diverse uh, style of, of worshiping God and worshiping together, so anyway, none of that has anything to do with the sermon, but I just thought of sharing my personal journal with you, just love that. Welcome to week three of Habits of Grace, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Have you ever heard that phrase, nothing but the truth, so help me God? People are swearing over the Bible, which you're not supposed to swear, but whatever, we figured a way around that. Uh, but they say, nothing, I promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And we've, we have been looking at God's word for the past few weeks. Uh, we had some amazing people in our church family build these commandments and scrolls and and the Bible, and you get this picture of how God has spoken to us, and for thousands of years, He has been speaking to us. He's been giving us His Word. He's been giving us truth, and week one, we thought about listening to God. Do we listen? He has spoken. He has spoken. Are we listening? Are we truly hearing what God has said to us? And we use the illustration of a remote. We talked about how, you know, we mentioned how big tech companies, how there's this conversation going on with private companies and organizations which are not under the First Amendment like the government about them silencing voices and silencing groups and this idea of, hey, there's a lot of power and authority over companies and businesses and online and social media website. I mean, there's a lot of power of who holds the remote because they can turn the volume up or they can mute it. They can silence it. And we ought to be wise and just respect that and know that there's a power there. What ought we ought to do, how we are to live our lives. And so we talked about that remote and we talked about how we, we switched it because people are passionate about that. I mean, some of you, your blood pressure just raised a little just by me mentioning that. You, you have thoughts and ideas and desires and passions and wonders and concerns and questions. But then we turned it around to how you hold the remote in your life and how God holds you responsible for what voices you listen to for what channels you sit and watch, metaphorically speaking, but also literally speaking. What do you fill your mind with? What do you fill your day with? What do you spend your time doing? Who do you listen to? What are you doing? Because God holds you responsible for what you're paying attention to in this life. He holds you responsible for you hold the remote. And then after last week, a sweet gentleman came up to me and rebuked me. And said, you know, I just, I just thought for sure you'd be a good preacher and you'd mention how husbands hold the remote in their homes and how fathers hold the remotes in their homes. And it wasn't a dig on dad sitting on a recliner and watching football. It's not about that. Don't even think about that. But men in a lot of families, not every family, but men have a huge responsibility because what they watch, their kids are watching. They're exposing their family. One time I watched a movie with my kids. It was PG-13. I thought it'd be okay. I watched it with my kids, and immediately afterward, I felt convicted and regretted it. I kind of knew, but I wanted to see it. I was being selfish, and I wanted entertainment, and I was tired, and I thought, oh, maybe it'd be cool if we all saw it. And then afterward, I felt horrible because I knew that that wasn't a good channel for them to be tuning into. That wasn't a good voice for their life. That wasn't helpful for them. 
We are responsible for what we watch and listen to and all that. And for some of us in this room, men and women, what you watch, other people are watching with you. You kind of hold the remote for them. And we ought to be humble before God and, and realize that power that we have over the people around us. God has spoken, are we listening to? And so last week, kind of built on that, applying God's word. Well, why do we listen to him? What does his word have to offer us? What does his word do in our lives? What happens? And we saw last week reading Psalm 19, verse 7, just one of my favorite psalms in the whole Bible, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, one of my favorite. Psalm 19, 7, we looked at it, and we saw how God's law is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. His law is perfect. God's word feeds our souls, feeds us. It, it provides nourishment for the soul. God's testimony is trustworthy. It's true. What he's saying is true. We can trust him, and God's word makes us wise. And so we looked at that last week, and this week we're just looking at the next verse. We're looking at verse 8. And as you look at verse 8, I'll read it, and you can listen as, we, as I read it. You can follow along. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. These are not just facts about God's word. They answer this question. If you spend time during your day, during your week, reading God's word, listening to it, you know, there's a wonderful Bible app, it'll read it to you. If you spend your time reading it, what happens? How is it applied to your life? What does it do for you? What does it provide for you? There's actually something that happens from just not just hearing it and there's just something going on. There's something that happens. There's an application here. And so I want you to see in these four lines, you see the Hebrew poetry. The precepts of the Lord are right. Uh, the third line, the commandment of the Lord is pure. See how those match each other? That's called parallelism. Rejoice in the heart, enlightening the eyes. Even in English, you could see the Hebrew poetry there, how it's matching. The idea is that you would read these and be able to memorize them and sing them, but also each line provides a truth. And so we're going to go through those truths. Psalm 8, just the first line. The precepts of the Lord are right. Now, I know that you have never used the word precept in your entire life. You don't use the word precept. What's a precept? So in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, especially in Psalm 19 or 119, both of them, you have different words used for God's law. Now, there's the word law and the word command. In English, these are synonymous for us, but they're not to the Hebrew people. A command is a directive that's only authoritative from that person to you. And it's someone like I can, like as a father, I can give my son a command. I can tell him, hey, go get the water. A law is different because a law has been accepted with a society, a group of people, where everybody is under that rule. They're under that law. The word for precept is just like law more than command. The idea of precept is this is a principle of, of this is a code of conduct. This is how you are to act. If you're with others, this is how a society is supposed to act. So when the psalmist says the precepts of the Lord are right, he's talking about justice. Now, have you ever lived in a day where the word justice has more meaning than it does today? Have you ever heard more about social justice, justice and rights, fairness, equity, equality, all these words. Have you ever lived in a day where justice is not more talked about than ever before it's today? And God's word reveals true justice. That's what the psalmist means when he says the precepts of the Lord are right. That word for right doesn't mean correct. I mean, they are correct, but that's not what it means. The definition of that word is God's 
rules, his laws, the way he wants us to conduct ourselves, they're just. It's true justice. We can't, we can't rely on our own framework to, re- to determine justice. We need God. I'll give you an example. This has been around for 3,500 years. There's something called a gleaning law. It's a precept that God gave the people in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and it speaks toward a welfare system for God's people. I'll read it to you and then explain it. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. You shall not. Now, just by the way, whenever this you shall not, he's he's saying you cannot do this. There's going to be a law. There's going to be a consequence to this. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. You better not take advantage of people that are poor that can't defend themselves, that can't protect themselves, they don't have the means to do, to fight for themselves, to speak up for themselves, you better not pervert justice for them because they can't fight back. They have nothing to offer and they're going to need you and you better not. And the word sojourner, by the way, there's two Hebrew words for, think, alien and sojourner. The Hebrew people thought of outsiders in two ways. I know we always say Gentiles and Israelites. Well, technically, just to get a little deeper, more advanced, there's actually two ways they thought of non-Jewish people, especially from the very beginning. This is with, in Moses' day. This is right after they got out of Egypt. They thought of them in two ways. There is one person that's considered a sojourner. They just pass on through the land. They're a non-Israelite, someone who's not dwelling with them under their laws. That's a sojourner. There's another word for an alien which is someone who has been a part of God's people, they become part of the Israelites, and they live there, and they build a house there, and they are under the law there, and they're aliens. They're Gentile converts. They've converted to the ways of the Israelite people, and they're saying the God of Israel is the same God as I have. If you remember Ruth, that kind of idea, your God will be my God. And so there's an alien that resides with them. There's two different words. This says, I'm talking about the guy that walks on through your community and you have nothing to do with him and you don't owe him anything and he's not going to provide anything for your people. He's not a citizen of your country. You better treat him right. You better be fair with him. Don't pervert justice. But you shall remember that you were a slave. You were in bondage. You needed someone to fight for you. You needed a deliverer. You needed someone to come and rescue you from oppression and bondage. Remember that. You're in power now. You're set up now. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a land flowing of milk and honey. You're going to be so blessed. But listen, don't let your riches and your blessings make you forget that you have needs and someone fought for you. So don't forget that. Remember, you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. God says, it's not an option. I want you to, I want you to take care of them. But how are we supposed to take care of them? What's the rule? What was the law that he said? Let's keep reading. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf. I love that word, sheaf. If you forget a sheaf, like, oh, where's my sheaf? Oh, I forgot that sheaf. If you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Think of a farmer. This is before John Deere, so no real cool machines. They were out there sweating, using their hose, uh, harvesting their crops. If you go through and you come back and the, and the boss, the master is talking to his servants, they're like employees. Just think of a waitress or a waiter or an employee. It's just a subordinate. They come back in, they've done the work, and he goes, oh, why do I keep hiring interns? Listen, you guys, you guys forgot a bunch of stuff. No, 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 Joe. Farmer Joe, you better stop right there. You do not go back and get the rest of those crops because God has a desire. He has a compassionate heart. He wants to save that 
for the fatherless, the sojourner, the widow, people that don't have work, don't have means, they can't care for themselves. Let it remain there for them, that the Lord God may bless you. That's so interesting. You bless them, God will bless you. You bless them, God will bless you. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees, this isn't, you know, no human, no rights activists here. They did this to make the olives drop because it's a lot easier than picking each olive, you know, off the tree. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. So you have these guys, they're like picking, he's like, you guys, there's so many more olives on that tree. I feel like I say this to my kids. Okay, okay, why didn't you eat all of that? There's like four bites in here. What is wrong with you? It's like, why are you not taking all the olives off? When you do that and you realize that your employees, your workers, they, they didn't get all the olives off the tree and you want a profit. You're like, dude, these are ripe olives. Let's make a profit. I want you to cover every square inch of that olive tree. You get all of them. No, 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 Farmer Joe. You better not. God has a desire. There's a God intervening and working. That's why you forgot. That's why you don't have all your fruit. That's, not, that's why you're not covering 100% of it because God has a compassionate heart. Don't you get all of it because that's for the fatherless and the sojourner and the, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. Same idea. It shall be for the sojourner of the father's son of the world. So there's this principle, this precept of justice in a society where a kind of wealth sharing is not a Robin Hood type of charity. It's not socialism. It's not stealing from anybody. And it doesn't lack work. There is a precept that God started 3,500 years ago if we'd ever follow it. That if we in our society would leave work, because guess what the fatherless, the widow, and the orphan has to do? What do they have to do to get it? They got to work. They got to go out into the field and they have to get it. God's kind of justice preserves dignity and honor. It's not just a free handout. There's work involved. There's commitment. There's care. There's compassion. God's justice is so much better than our man-made justices. It's so much better. And here you have a societal law. Now, I'll just say for the sake of I'm online and, you know, who knows what will happen with that. Hi, online viewers, by the way. Uh, there are also verses individually, not government, not society, law, precepts, remember, more commands, that you help those along your path that are in need that can't do for themselves. There could be a beaten uh, Samaritan on the side of the road. They can't go work. You can't accept. They don't have anything. to. Get. You help them. You give your own money. You put them on your own donkey. You care for them. So there's a personal involvement, which we are compassionate and generous, but yet at the same time, there's preserving dignity and a work ethic. Let me quiz you. Did God institute work before or after the fall of man? Before. Work was not a result of sin. Work is an invitation by God for us to bear his image, to be like him, to be productive, to care, to be wise, to know how to build. There's a good part in working. And so when you look at God's, God's word, you, you realize that God's word reveals true justice. It is so important in our day today that we take all of God's word and we truly apply what is justice through his eyes. What is justice through his eyes? Not our own, but his. And we need it to reveal true justice. People are out there perverting justice and others because of unjust agendas. I'll give you an example. I'll quote from another pastor, and I'm doing this because he's the one who wrote this. I want, I want you to hear this, but I, I agree with it 100%. And I've, I've met him before. Just a great guy. His name's J.D. Greer. Sometimes I hear people say, all you Christians care about is the preborn. Don't believe it. 
Since 1973, for every one abortion clinic in America, Christians have built three pregnancy centers to assist women in crisis. They are buying groceries and helping them get housing and whatever else. By the way, just an aside, our church just created a $20,000 benevolence uh, budget this last year because of God's generosity through you. We, we never pass the offering plate. We almost never talk about it. You, you only give to the Lord, and as you give to him, I want you to know, people that are desperately in need are being cared for. You will never know all the stories. There are so many people in this community that are being blessed. I'm, I'm sitting in the office, and I hear, hey, we, we've, we've connected and whatever, and, and we want to help you with that bill. We, we want to help you with this or that. A guy didn't have shoes to go work somewhere. He needed shoes. He got shoes. There's so many things that, that I hear about things happening that are just under the radar. No one knows about it except certain individuals, you guys doing it. You guys are a part of a great work. People that say Christians don't care don't meet Christians. <laughs> or they meet people that call themselves Christians that truly don't care, and that's sad. But don't believe it. Go into fostering services and adoption agencies. This is back to the quote of J.D. Greer. Going into foster services and adoption agencies, and there you will find the group represented most are pro-life Christians and their friends. Christians have built more hospitals around the world than any other single group. And, and he's, that's true, you can reference it, ever, period. For a long time in sub-Saharan Africa, or in sub-Saharan African, in sub-Saharan Africa, there was not a single hospital that, had been, that hadn't been built by a Christian mission. Every single hospital that was ever built there was built by a Christian. That was before. And, and also, as a side note, J.D. Greer did mission work with Muslim people in, toward the Middle East and in Northern Africa. He can't talk about it publicly, but maybe I just blew the rule. But he did it. And if you read his dissertation, by the way, J.D. Greer is a great author. His dissertation is not like his other books. It's a little more dry. There's a rule out there that says dissertations must be boring. So don't count that against him. But he references and uses real facts and research. He's been there. He has been there. And he knows what he's talking about, and he's done mission work there. He says, Our church has more than 10 ministries to mothers and families in crisis that our members are deeply involved in. So don't believe the tired trope that followers of Jesus only care about the preborn. That's a social justice issue, just an issue of uh, infants being murdered against their own will, men and women, little baby boys and girls being murdered. Uh, it's hard to say that you're pro life from the womb to the tomb if you're apathetic when the womb is a tomb. A lot of people use that excuse, use their uh, excuse, they use that to excuse the fact that they are virtually silent about the tragedy of abortion. And you've heard arguments that, like this. This is what I call justice swapping. Justice swapping. When you get on your agenda and you think my agenda is the most important agenda, it's the only agenda, and if you don't agree with me, I actually read a, a quote, a, a post, I should stop looking on the internet, by the way. Social media has ruined me, but I read a quote by someone that they said, hey, you can't say you fight for abortion unless you fight for their agenda. And I just thought, what? That's hypocritical and nonsensical. They could say the same thing about you. That's a false argument. Nobody can be for every justice agenda in the world. No one individual can be that. We should all be true to justice. We should all follow individually, and we should try to build together, it takes more than one person, to build a community in which true justice is served. But don't justice swap. Don't say, you can't care for that if I can't care for this, because that just shuts down. That creates division, that creates disunity, and that's a, that's a mar against what God considers justice. Don't call evil good. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Let us not be part of that. 
Since not, just one more example, since 1993, the Environmental Protection Agency, that's the EPA, and you can find this online if you want to go search after this, they have established that smoke is a carcinogen. Of course it is. Smoking is a carcinogen. And secondhand smoke has affected 58 million people in the U.S. This is just recorded uh, data from the EPA and the CDC. The CDC's Surgeon General's report states that 2.5 million adults who were non-smokers died because they breathed secondhand smoke. And that's only what they know about. I've, I've lived in communities where the poverty, I was poor. I lived in Detroit City with 15 other people living in the same house. I slept on clean clothes that no one wore in a hallway. I, in poor communities, no one really researches this stuff. But they, all the research they do have is the least of these in our country, the poorest communities, have been more affected by secondhand smoke. They say that secondhand smoke kills 1,000 infants every year, baby, unborn infants. Kills them every single year. Every year, 1,000. Now, just imagine if those stats, if you re- and those, that's just out there. You can go read all the research you want. They've done plenty of studies. No one really debates this stuff. Imagine if someone says, unless you care about secondhand smoke issues, you can't talk about those other issues. What would happen? Would that resolve anything? Would that solve anything? Millions of people affected, millions of people dying. Would that fix anything? No. God's word reveals true justice. And if we sit under his word and we examine and we study it, not as one but as a group, unified, we can figure out how to implement God's justice because in his word you find true justice. Psalm 119 verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Precepts are instructions that were meant to be obeyed. God has rules and laws if we just look at it. God's word seeks true justice. It wants justice because God has a heart and he loves and he has compassion and he wants people that are oppressed to be set free. He wants them to be helped. He wants them to be served. It explains what true justice is. It teaches us. It interprets it. If you just look at the stories, if you look at God's commands, you will find wonderful things that you thought, I didn't know God talked about debt and credit and lenders and high interest. The Bible talks about that. I didn't know God talks about soberness and getting high and getting drunk. The Bible talks about that. I didn't know the Bible talked, I mean, the Bible talks about sexuality and gender. Every issue that you can imagine, racial uh, injustice, which is horrible, the Bible speaks to that. Now, people will pervert it, and they'll say, well, this verse means blah, 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 because they don't trust the Bible anyway. I can't believe they use the Bible for their argument. But God's word reveals true justice. And the second point in the verse is that God's word brings us joy, which is a refreshing moment after all this justice talk. God's word brings us joy. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's word brings us joy. When we're living according to his word, we experience joy because we're living according to his design. We, we have a heart and vision like he does. We see through his lens. It rejoices the heart. It rejoices the heart because it, we find contentment. In God's word, you read that God is enough. He's enough for the fatherless and the widow and the orphan, and he will protect them, and he will use his church family to step up and be the hands and feet for them. God is enough. And so we find contentment. We don't need riches. Whether I'm with or without, I will, I will be content. I know what it means to serve the Lord. I don't need this external world that's so temporary and short to satisfy my soul because I have an eternity. I have a kingdom that God has established. That is what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm hoping in. We also gain courage. Amen. I wish more people said amen, by the way. You guys can be, I know we live in this culture. Thanks, Christian. All right. 
You know what's funny? His actual name is Christian. That's not a... Anyway, that's not important. So we, we find contentment because God's enough. We, we gain courage. We gain courage because he's with us. Jesus said, God said, I am with, I'm a father to the fatherless. I grew up without a dad. I could tell you, God is a father to the fatherless. I love my dad now. I've got a great relationship with him. I didn't have it when I was a kid. He regrets that now. He loves me. He does so much to try to share his love for me. I'm so proud of him. My dad has done so well. He's walking with the Lord. He's meeting with guys. He's in Bible studies. He, he loves God. He's working. He's using his hands. He's using his life for God's purpose. But I grew up without a dad. And I can tell you, God was a father to me. I, I could not be any weaker. I had nothing going for me. In some ways, I still don't without him. God is so good. God wants to be that, and he brings us joy when we read his word and realize, dude, he's enough, and he's with me. I have courage, I have contentment, I have joy. Amen. John, in two different places, records this. So one in his gospel, one in his first letter in chapter 5. He's, he's, uh, he's quoting Jesus, and Jesus says, my, my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. My, you know, my commands are not burdensome. He writes that in 1 John. God's commands, his precepts, his law, his, his principles, what he says, his word is not burdensome. It's not meant to weigh you down. It's meant to free you. And it's meant to use you to free others. God's word is so good. It reveals true justice and it brings us joy. And look at the next part of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What the psalmist is saying is that God's word is motivated by pure love. It's motivated by pure love. That word for pure means clean. He gives an example of refined by fire. I'll share that verse in the Psalms. The idea is pure, not just meaning that there's no bad uh, truths in it or facts. There's not like lies. That's true. We saw that in verse 7. But when this Hebrew word for pure speaks of motive. So God's command is pure, meaning God has good motives. Uh, any kids in here, has your and, and tell on them, just embarrass your, your parents. Any kids, have your parents ever said, because I told you so? Any kids, right? Amen, right? Listen, we got to change this. We got to change this. We got to change this. If you tell your kids, because I told you so, technically that's true. That's just not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful. You know what's better? You know how God speaks to us? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. If I were to synthesize that into a truth to share with you, to share with you every Sunday, I wish I could. God loved you first. Why do I want my kids to obey me? Not because I'm always right, because sometimes I'm wrong. Not just because I'm their dad, although authoritatively, if they learn to obey me, they will learn to obey God, and I've explained that to them. I want them to obey me because I love them. I want them to know I love them. It comes from a heart of love. I want to do them good. Do you know that God's commands, even the hardest ones, come from a, from a fatherly heart of I want what's good for you? All my life, whenever I've been challenged with certain commands like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. Maybe I can do this. You know, like I, I've wanted to wiggle my way around God's law. It's those fundamentalists, it's traditional, it's, it's okay, boomer. It's the older people. They, they want me to live a certain way that I don't want to live. 
I've had those feelings before. Every single time now, as I look at God's word, I realize, God, I I am ignorant. I know nothing. (laughs) Would you teach me? Every time he gives me a command that's hard to obey, I know this. It's coming from a heart of love. God's motive for telling you to do anything or to not do anything is from a heart of love, pure love. I love you and I want what's good for you. We listen to God, we read his word, we hear his commands, we study it, we submit ourselves to it. It's authoritative, it speaks to us, it speaks over us, and it ought to, because God loves us, and he's wise and all-knowing, and he's the creator, we're creation. What do we know? We should submit ourselves to him, and it's good, and it's joyful, and it's right, because God's motives are pure. The command of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6, the, Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. There's been so many times where I've wished that lawmakers and politicians would take this approach, and there'd be no lobbyists, and there'd be no earmarks, or whatever they're called. There'd be no laws where they say, oh, we need to pass one law, but it has this hidden agenda in it, and there's 14 things in it, and that's why we keep arguing over it, because you want your thing, and you want to get rich your way, and you want your buddies to like you. That's never going to end until Jesus comes back, because his, he comes with a pure, clear motive. I love you. I have a forever place prepared for you. If you put your faith in me, I will bring you there. I will give you everything that Jesus deserved. Everything he earned, I will give to you. You will inherit it as my children. He's so good. God's commands have pure motives, and even better, they come from a heart of love for you. Can't emphasize that enough. And lastly, God's word gives us clear vision. I love this part. God's, God, God's word gives us clear vision. Psalm 19, verse 8, enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes. Um, anybody with kids with glasses in here? Like little kids wear glasses, right? Some of you. How often do you have to clean your kids' glasses? Like once every seven minutes, right? Like just, you know, all the time. One time, I, one of my sons, I don't want to name him because I never want to embarrass my kids uh, publicly, just privately. And so he comes up to me and I look at his face and I, I go, buddy. I said his name. I said, buddy, did, did you take a slice of pizza and wipe it over your glasses? That's exactly what it looked like. Exactly. And not like the pizza where mom takes the napkins and soaks the grease because she loves you and wants you to live past the age of 50. Not that. I'm talking just right out of the oven, right over his glasses. I said, buddy, I couldn't even see his eyes. I know he has them. I've seen those before. I was like, buddy, do you, are your, do you feel like your glasses are clean? He goes, no, I can't see through them. I said, dude, dude, what? I'm here. I'm not even at work right now. You could come. What's up with this? So anyway, I had to clean them off. When we rely on our own framework, when we rely on our own emotions and experiences, if it's not coupled and grounded on and supported by and and filtered through God's word, we can't see clearly. I'm going to say something, and I don't mean this to be derogatory. I mean this like we're together. Not one person, not one, no one in this room can judge all things rightly. Not me and not you. But if we follow God's word, if we take these issues before him and say, God, 
not what I think, not what my parents thought, not what my grandparents thought, not what anybody else says. First, what does your word say? God's word will enlighten the eyes. He will give us clear vision. And we're not perfect and we'll never be perfect. I'm not right about everything. There are some, if I knew what I was wrong about, I'd change it. And some of you are, you try to help with that. And I try, I listen. We need God's word. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm about to pray, but before I pray, I think that there, there possibly, statistically there is. Is there someone in this room that is not a believer yet? Are one of you sitting out there and you know, you feel convicted, even though I'm, I'm saying it right now, you're blushing, you're hiding, you're avoiding eye contact maybe. Do you know that you're not a Christian, that you're not a believer? Listen, you will never, never find true joy. You will never know what justice really is. You will never have hope unless you give your life to Christ. If you don't turn to him and in faith say, Jesus, only you can forgive me of my sins, and we all have sins. The Bible says every single person has sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us do it right. None of us. That's why we need Jesus. That's why he died. That's why we kneel before him and lift our hands to him. And, and some of us, weirdos like me, pat my thighs as I sing to him. Because he's so good. And he took my place. He died. I was a sinner. I was a liar. I was empty. I was without hope. I, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. My sin earned me death. I could never have made myself right with God. Isaiah 59, 2, your sins have hidden God's face from you. They, that he cannot hear you. They, they've met a separation between you and your God. But it doesn't end in 59, 2. But God sent his son. He, he's, a, a child was born. A, a man who claimed to be God grew up and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he says he is, you will be saved. Amen. If that's you, I'm going to pray, and, and I'm going to do what I hate when other pastors do this. I'm going to talk to you while I'm praying a little bit. When I pray, I just want to pray to him. It's not a performance. But will you listen, if that's you, would you listen to my voice? I'm going to share some things specifically for you. These are not magic words. If your heart believes these things, I want you to be set free. Don't leave this room. Don't leave here today if you don't know him. Don't miss out on the best gift that can ever be given and received. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you are just. Your word reveals true justice. You love us. You care about us. As a church, we're flawed. We, we are people, we, we have flaws, and so we pray, would you fill us with your spirit in a powerful way? Would you draw us to what is right and what's true? Would you help us to examine and to humble ourselves every day, every day before your word, that we would seek you, your face, your will alone? And for those in this room that don't know you, those watching online maybe, maybe today, maybe another day, would you love them like you've loved me? Would you hear the cries of their heart that they are sinners, that they know they've done wrong? Would you set them free? Would you hear their pleas? If you hear these words, 
and you know you're not right with God, just pray. Tell him this if you mean it. God, I have sinned. I have broken your law. I have not done what's right. Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you have mercy on me? I want to put my faith in you. I want, to put, I want to give my life to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me in my place. I should have died. I should have bled. I should be separated from you, but he died. Would you save me? Would you save me through Jesus? I want to give my life to him. I want him more than my sin. I can't do it without you. Would you forgive me? I believe that he is your son. I put my faith in him. And as a church family, we pray, God, would you be saving people in our community? Help us to be a light. We want to be salt and light. We want to be beyond where we are today. Would you have mercy on us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Give us another day to give back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, I love you so much. And Nathan is going to come up and give the best part of the sermon, which is the application. So I want you guys to listen. Amen. So we've seen that God, motivated by his pure love for us, has shared his word with us, revealed himself to us. And through that word, he's given us clear vision to see what is true. And his truth reveals justice and it gives us joy. So now we ask, so what? Right? So we're in this this Habits of Grace series where we're focusing on developing this habit of connecting with God through his word. And by connecting with God through his word, we're moved to action. Pastor Jack opened our time of worship this morning reading from James 1. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So in the first couple weeks of this series, we've created this pattern, create a pattern of connecting with God through his word. Then we looked at inviting a friend to join you in that pattern. And this week, our target habit is to live it out. It's simply to move beyond being a hearer of the word into being a doer of the word. This, the idea for this target habit is to have God's word so deeply in you that when you're out living your life and something comes up, God's word just bubbles out of you. Or when you're in a tough situation, you respond out of the truth of, that God has transformed your life with. We want to have God's word so deeply in us, be so deeply connected with him that in everything that we do, is co- it's motivated, it's co- colored by God's word in us. So we're, we're building this habit of living it out. And the take-home challenge this morning to help you with this is, as you read God's word this week, take a verse or a truth and turn it into a prayer and an action step for that day or for that week. If you're in the habit of following along on the back of the program each week, we have the the what's true section where we look at what's true in the Bible. And then we have the what's real reflection questions to ask, is this really true in my life? And then the last is what's next. And that's always a, it's a prayer or an action step, some way to take this truth that we just explored and see how can I apply this to my life. So that's what we're encouraging you to do this week as you connect with God through his word at least four times this week, hopefully. What truth s- sticks out? What is God trying to teach you through this passage and how can you live differently according to that truth? I want to, and this is a time, too, where I want to highlight the resources that we've made available to you. We've highlighted the, the resource shelf we have out there in the, in the foyer, and the top shelf there is a, it's a stack of recommended reading books. 
And this, this is a collection of books that we put together to help you with this particular habit of going beyond just reading the word, but seeing what is the truth really here? What's God really trying to communicate to me? And what should I do about it? And there's a lot of you know, thought that went into picking out these particular books, and a lot of them are right off of my shelf. These are some of my favorites that have been really helpful for me, and I want to commend them to you to find a resource that you think God is going to use to help you take this next step to not just hear his word, but to really apply it to your life. And I'm excited this morning, maybe if you came in through the main entrance through the foyer there, you notice, but we have Bethany from our local Faith and Life bookstore here this morning. She has a table there filled with copies of all of the resources on that shelf and more to help you in connecting with God through his word. So if you've seen something there on that shelf or if you are looking for something, a way to help understand more what the Bible is saying, help give you ideas, give you resources for how to live out what you're reading, I really want to encourage you to stop by Bethany's table. And if you're joining us from home, you can browse their website. Um, they're at Faith and Life Bookstore or if find something there that you think would be helpful, these are listed there, or you can call into the store and she can help reserve something for you, um, get it ordered in if she needs to. Um, she's happy to help get you connected to these resources um, that are going to help you grow in your connection with God through his word. And we end our service each week with our sending, right? And we do that because the sending is designed to help us with this very habit of living out the truth that we've heard over the course of the morning. So I want to end our, our time this morning with our sending as we do, and I invite you to join me um, by standing for this time. But this morning I've chosen to not put the words on the screen. Hopefully this is becoming familiar to many of you, but I did this for a reason. I want you to really listen. Listen to these words and consider what it's going to look like for you to take this truth of God's word, how it transforms our lives, and to go be the church this week. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. In whatever family, whatever neighborhood, whatever workplace, whatever school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life you find yourself, look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. Grace, you are the church. Now go be the church. We are sent. <laughs>